I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hello there, Dumpty Dum. We are Hello. with the Hay Bales. <laughs> We've decided as our pseudonym and we have listened to the podcast for several months now, but this is our first time as a caller in era, so we have a Dumpty Dum for you. Yes. Ready? Yeah. Dumpty Dum Dumpty Dum Dumpty Dum Dumpty Dum Dumpty Dumpty Dum Dumpty Dum Dumpty Dum this is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that has centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the joyful celebration of life that is Royfield Brown, and with me I have the mournful funeral that is... Angela Barnes. And the last part of our weary wake, folks, is you. Now, this week's Dumpty Dum... It's uh, last week's. It's Hay Bells. Back. So well done, Hay Bells. Pair of lovely people, you. Uh, but Angela, we need yep. some fresh ones. So if someone wants to send us in a fresh Dumpty Dum, how can they do that? If you'd like to sing us a Dumpty Dum, leave us a plot prediction, call us on 0203 031 3105 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Thanks to Cosmo for his podcast roundups and doing the Dumpty Dogs and to Derek for the loan of the back bedroom. Ah. It's nice in this back bedroom, isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely, lovely. Yeah. It really... I like satin sheets. <laughs> satin oh, sheets and, and the waterbed. <laughs> <laughs> On this week's episodes, we have calls from Witherspoon, who looks into the heads of Eddie and Matt. Auntie Jean, who wishes Angela all the best in Edinburgh. Rosie, who was a hater, but is now a lover. You know what? I love it when people, are, you know, used to be haters, but then become lovers. Yeah. That are, is you, nice. are you a lover? Oh, I'm a lover. Are you? It's a lover, Royf. Ooh, let's talk okay. about that later. Life's too short for hating. I haven't got the energy. In it, no. Uh, In Paul it. Room, who dislikes a plummy voice. And Andrew Horn, who looks at two sets of Ambridge couples. But first, before all that, Angela. Uh, right, no, there is no monologue, is there? There isn't. I have to do a grovelling apology here to mm. the people of Dumpty Dumpshire. Right. Um, Will, it, I, like, will this apology approximately last for five minutes? Will it be think, funny I'll and insightful at times? <laughs> the thing is, if, if we could have like the playing of violins in the background, that would be really helpful. Oh, yeah, I can definitely put that in post-production. See if you can do that. Because I am currently in Edinburgh. Um, the Edinburgh Fringe starts tomorrow, and mm. I'm not panicking. 
I am breathing and I am on Valium. So it's going to be fine. Hmm. Uh, and what that means is I have spent the last week uh, working on my new show. It's called Fortitude. If you're up here, please do come and see Angela, it. Angela, this is not an advert. <laughs> I've got to get a plug in at least. Um, but what that means is I have had zero time in the last week and every day I've been like, oh God, I haven't really done to done monologue. And obviously you can't write it till the end of the week anyway. And I've just been, it's been, yes, I had all day of, of press stuff and a tech rehearsal and things, and I just ran out of time. So I apologise to the Dumpty Dumbers that this week there will be no monologue mm. uh, about a week in Ambridge. But hey, you've all listened Angela, to it. Angela, I feel no, like no. that did last for five minutes, but it wasn't funny. Right, I'm sorry. I'm a <laughs> Call myself a comedian. <laughs> Come on, Dumpty Dum. I am hang, literally hanging my head in shame right now. All right. Now, <laughs> hang your head, but then pull it back up again and tell okay. me about something that stuck out for you in the last week in Ambridge. Well, I mean, it's got to be Swampy Jill, right? Amazing. Jill gets arrested. 86 gets a criminal record. Go, Jill. Well, it proves it's never too late for any it does. of us. My only, my only thing about that whole episode, that whole scene is like... I do get what they're doing about protesting against food waste, but I'm not sure that restaurant is the right target. Like, surely the government mm. and austerity and all the things that mean people are starving are the right target. Do you know what I mean? I suppose what she said, I actually agree with you. And I think way back about three, four weeks ago, it was Naked Fingers that actually pointed out a few inconsistencies in all of this. And that's before you do the whole, well, Jill is, um, and she even says it and, you know, that she's throwing food, you know, she's wasting food in, in, and, in and of itself. But um, Naked Fingers did actually point out the somewhat kind of uh, hypocrisy in this, in that, you know, Jill, a well-meaning charity. Yeah. What that charity did was to provide people who had time on their hands with something to do, whereby yeah. at least this establishment will actually begin people employment. So, yeah. you know, actually will help the economy, you know. Yeah. And, and there are many, you know, when you sit down and think about the issues to do with food waste and specifically this restaurant, it's somewhat kind of confused. But it's the, it's, um, it's the ostentatiousness of, of um, a restaurant that charges a shed load of money uh, for food and the fact that it's taken over the place of you know somewhere which you know was in inverted commas helping the downtrodden the poor the weary etc i think my problem with that though is it was always a temporary lease like it's not like that had been a long established place that had been bulldozed for a restaurant it was always going to happen hmm. and you know if it's a pop-up place they can pop up somewhere else I, I mean, I'm I'm very much obviously pro the Happy Faces Cafe, whatever it's called, Happy Friends, and and in fact, have you know, in my previous life, have worked in places like that. But I just I think the target for their demonstration being the restaurant just isn't doing them any favors because the restaurant had already bought the lease. That's what it's going to be. It had planning permission. They've done all the right things. It's not the issue. Is the fact that families can't afford to feed themselves working families in this country can't afford to feed themselves and that energy of that demonstration i felt should have been 
you know, at either the local council about providing a new... You, you, listen, uh, you, you are completely and utterly correct that really the, the issue is the working poor, isn't yeah, it? That yeah, absolutely. we have in this country a level of wages which is that low that uh, we actually tacitly admit as a society that people cannot survive off of a, mini a minimum wage whereby we have working tax credits and, and all manner of things you know wait on these people are working but we subsidize the poor wages that many people get yeah. from their employer uh, and and that shouldn't actually be the case it's one thing if you cannot find work and you cannot eat, that is one thing. But the scandal is actually what you said, that some people are yeah. working and doing 40 hours, 30 hours a week and still cannot survive. No. And really our ire should really be turned away from the Doxford sisters and, and, yeah. and, and, and on to um, economic structures within this country. But anyway, just but before, any just, just before but we go, I go on another socialist rant. Right, yes. I ain't <laughs> half bored of this of these bloody Doxford sisters. Well, I mean, they're, they're obviously quite comic characters. I think the Duxford sisters. Those quite comically, you know, those sorts of bullying chefs. I, I mean, despite what I feel about the fact the protest, I think was misdirected and just essentially wouldn't ever have happened. What a great episode. It was a great episode. What a great episode. To have Harrison having to make that decision to arrest Jill Archer. It's just brilliant. I love it. And then Jill in the police station, you know, having her fingerprints taken. And when David rocks up, ah, oh, that was just brilliant. Talk about role reversal. Jeez. You know, when she says to him, what are you doing here? And he's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> You're 86. <laughs> I think it was just, yeah, I think whoever really should have worked this out, really, and, and actually had a look, but whoever wrote last week's episode actually had a, an utter blast. And you know that in that scriptwriters meeting, they said, let's just have a little bit of fun. Let's get Jill arrested. And we know that people are going to go, this is just ridiculous. And to heighten it, you know, she throws a flapjack. The whole thing was just absurd in, you know, in, in, in extremis. But... You know, we all we all loved it because it was just so blooming ridiculous. And of course, of all the policemen in all of the county of Borsetshire, it actually Harrison just, right? that had to be there at that time. Yeah, <laughs> but I just love that. That he's is there no other police officer in Borsetshire? Well, George Barford's been dead for about fifteen years, so the answer <laughs> is no. <laughs> oh dear, and I'm sure there would have been another if there was a demonstration. I reckon there'd been at least two police officers present. Well, mm, I don't know, because it's going to be a demonstration in what? Well, that's in Felpersham. I, I, where is the restaurant? I, that's a really good question. Is it? It's not in the village, is it? No, no, no. It's either in Borsetshire or it's in Felpersham. It's yeah. in one or the other. And, and I get the two mixed up all the time. But so it's going to be in a little market <laughs> town right. and it's going to be a bunch of do-gooding uh, middle-class WY ladies, basically. <laughs> Do you need a policeman for that normally? <laughs> I don't know what the legality is of it because I know that I, I'm sure there was some reference in it too. Because obviously he knew there was going to be a protest because he was there. Mm. Otherwise, why would the police have been there? You know, police don't generally turn up at the opening of a restaurant, I don't think. True. So they must have registered that there was going to be a protest in which... I mean, I'm getting picky here now. It was still a great episode. 
Yeah. Well, it will go down in the Archer's annals, won't it? Absolutely. You know, when did Jill get arrested and what for? What, what did Jill Archer hurl, you know, <laughs> to be arrested? You know, it will be in an Archer's quizzes in like 10, 15 years' time. What she needed was one of, uh, Car- not Caroline, Auntie Cardboard's uh, rock hard scones. That's oh, what she needed. Oh, good grief. It wouldn't have been assault, it would have been murder. A attempted <laughs> murder, at the very least. <laughs> now, you, um, yes. I think we should do a little bit of quarter in a reaction. Good plan. Hello, Ambridge3962. First, we have Witherspoon. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Angelo Royfield, Yoko Bear, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. The question was raised last week by Miss Blythe Spirit as to whether Eddie was a sociopath, or technically, whether he has antisocial personality disorder. Brings us back to the days of dissecting Rob's brain. First off, my psychiatric gut says no, Eddie does not pass the smell test of a sociopath. While Eddie is frequently deceitful and manipulative, I wouldn't say he's callous or hostile. He certainly can be irresponsible, but the big question is whether he lacks empathy. I would say he does possess the quality of being able to empathize with others when it comes down to it. And so while he has some antisocial traits, and many dumpty dumbers don't like him because of them, he does not possess the disorder. On the other hand, and I hate to keep banging on and on and on about this, Matt is a sociopath. While the host may think Lillian's path to happiness leads through Matt's hotel room, I don't. He's stolen her money and money from others. Remember when he tried to cheat that nice elderly couple whose Amsite house was in great disrepair, ultimately leading to the death of the husband? And remember when he sent a thug to harass his brother, ultimately leading to his death? If Lillian were to wind up with Matt again, it will lead to her misery. I've heard stories like this too many times from women sitting on the couch across from me. I'll let that be the last word today from me on the topic. I'm having much too nice a holiday to get stressed out by Matt, or by Donald Trump for that matter. So I'll talk to you soon. Now, Witherspoon says our Angela. Yeah. Um, now, he answers Bly Spirit, and uh, Eddie is not a sociopath, but Matt is. Discuss. Well... What I think is interesting, but I think he's right. Eddie isn't a sociopath. Eddie's a, an idiot and has been brought up in a world where, you know, wheeling and dealing and a little bit of crime is just his well, work. It's not wheeling and dealing. It's ducking and a diving, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's just his way of life. And I don't think, but I think with the spoons, right. He does show empathy sometimes. I don't think he's completely without empathy and he's not cold. You know, he mm. loves his family and he, in his own weird way, is trying to do what's best for them, really. Yeah. He would, the, you know he loves Clary. You know that relationship is believable. Yeah, he cuts corners, does Eddie. But he doesn't actually set out to harm anybody. Though, no. in his cutting corners, Obvious. he frequently hurts people. Whereas Matt, um, as Witherspoon very clearly said, you know, wanted to put the, the, the scarers up of that elderly couple some years ago. Do you remember? Yeah, I do remember. And, and you know, he is a nasty piece of work, Matt. And I think what I'd say to Witherspoon, I know Witherspoon said that, um, you know, we think that Lillian's path to happiness is through Matt. And I, I don't think that. What I think is, is uh, what, what the reason I want Lillian and Matt to get back together is because that's better drama. 
That's, Absolutely. It's, I don't for one second think that that's the best for Lillian. The best for Lillian is either to be on her own or to settle down with uh, Justin if that's what she wants. But that's a bit dull, isn't it? Whereas Pusscat and Tiger, that's, I'm hooked. Have you ever had a really tempestuous relationship, Angela? Yes. Well, do you I think don't... you should give up your current pleasant, really tranquil relationship, which you're really happy, and go back not. to that one because it was better Absolutely. drama? It's exhausting. Those sorts of relationships are exhausting. I think when you're young, mm. you kind of cope with it, and it's all drama, and it's all, you know, that that's what a bit exciting and a bit... I'm 40 now. I get enough excitement, you know, getting out of bed in the morning. I, I'm, it's so nice to be, and my relationship, what I've realized mm-hmm. is a settled and happy relationship isn't boring necessarily. Like I've been in relationships before where I've been bored, but my relationship's still exciting. And I, you know, I absolutely couldn't imagine being without that, but it's, I'm not, I don't have drama in it and it's wonderful. So, you know, you said you had a tempestuous relationship before. Yeah. All right. Um, feel free to expand upon that. In what way was it tempestuous, Angela? I was very young, and mm-hmm. he was very young as well. Like, we were in our 20s, and it was on and off and up and down, and it was just two people who should never have got together in the first place, just kind of making a drama out of nothing and thriving on that drama at that point. But it made me really depressed and really, you know, it was either but really... But didn't, didn't it make you feel like you were alive at times, though? And I... didn't it make the making up even more tumultuous? It did, but it wasn't... The payoff was never worth it. It was never worth the pain and the, you know, ball ache of just the stress and the constantly wondering where you stand. Did and... your partner frequently have ball ache? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> in them repeatedly uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah no it, it, it's just too exhausting you know and it's too I mean the particular partner I'm talking about God rest his soul he passed away a couple of years ago oh, no. drinker, and it was just too much you know and is that uh, the reason why he passed away because of his drinking yeah he was 43 oh no yeah no age um, and, and we were still friends actually but once we stopped having a relationship we became very good friends but in the relationship, it was just exhausting. Um, I was like 21 when we got, you know, when we were together. And it was it was all very exciting at the time. He was a six foot five Australian and I was all very excited by it. But it was just such hard work. Oh, bless him. Yeah, yeah. It was really sad, really sad. You made me think, though. When's the last time we had an alcoholic on the Archers? Oh, um, who? I don't know. Like, I, like, there's something in the back of my mind is saying, of course we've had an alcoholic on the arches, but I, I can't think. Like, Kenton threatened to become one last year, didn't he, to do the whole kind of money thing? Yeah. I'm sure we mu- there must have been people with drink problems on the arches. You, you'd think so, wouldn't you? You know, the, you got yeah. the, you got the bull there as the fulcrum for, the, for their drinking. Yeah. I can't think of any, like, anyone who's been through AA or any of that. Do we have ah, Ed ah, with the drugs? Jack, well, thinking about it, you did actually have Jack. So Peggy's uh-huh. husband. Yeah. But we haven't had anybody recently. No, that, I mean, that's... Maybe, maybe Daryl. Did Daryl... Daryl... Was Daryl on drugs? Was it drink? 
I think it was. I think he liked to drink, but was it? A, he was just destitute, wasn't he? Rather than. Mm. I know, think I, it might be. I think it might be Daryl. Like I've got seem to think that seem to remember he was in the bull falling out of the bull drunk because he couldn't find work or something or other. And I think wasn't that. That's Yeah, his Polish uh, wife was, you know, moaning, saying, what money you do have, you're spending it down the ball. But uh, Cosmo or somebody else who's sufficiently anal and uh, accurate when it comes to these things will will definitely be able to know. But I actually think there's got to be a storyline there. And um, and let's do female alcoholism. And, and, and where somebody's young, a working alcoholic as well. So with that, young people as well. You know, maybe one of the younger ones. Mm-hmm. Maybe Pip will turn to drink. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think we've just about dealt with Witherspoon, haven't we? I think so. I think right. so. Let's uh, let's nip to Auntie Jean, who's a big fan of you. I'm a big fan of Auntie Jean. Hello, everybody at Dumpty Dum. It's Auntie Jean here. Um, it's been lovely having Angela on the podcast. She's done a sterling work while he's been away. Um, and wish her all the best for the Edinburgh Fest- Festival. I'm sure that she will do extremely well and have lots and lots and lots of people giggling in the aisles. Um, first of all, I would like to say that Jill has auditioned successfully for the cast of Orange is the New Black and will be taking up her role in the autumn. Um, she will, of course, be in charge of uh, lemon drizzle cake and flapjacks when she gets there, and I'm sure they'll all be very grateful for that. Um, I hope that Oliver will stay now that Caroline is no longer with us. Uh, it would be lovely to have him in the village. Whether he will want Grange Farm back, I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, I don't think, as some people have suggested, that he will be giving it to um, Ed. I think that might be a bit too far. Uh, But I think that he'll let them stay. Um, And I'm sorry about this, but I know Ed was lovely at the memorial service and all, but I still can't stand him. He just drives me, his voice drives me nutty. It's hopeless. And as for Harrison Burns... He goes around assaulting old ladies who are throwing flapjacks, but he still doesn't find that ready bunting, has he? Anyway, that's me. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Now, Auntie Jean has wished you all the best in Edinburgh. What else did she say? That's lovely. So, Auntie Jean thinks that Jill is a shoo-in for Orange is the New Black, and that is something I would love to see. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to see her turn up on that. Do you watch Orange is the New Black? I absolutely love it. At the end of the last season... And then I stopped... What which what what season? I watched the first two seasons. Don't don't stop. It, it is good. No, I need to go back to it. Uh, Piper in the seasons going on plays less and less of a starring role. You know, season one it was so obviously season one and two she's obviously a vehicle for her. Less so in the seasons kind of going going forward, but it still is brilliantly written, fantastically acted, um, and dramatic and horrible things happen but it still manages to have lots of heart lots of heart yeah 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 um the end of season three is actually quite shocking i am 
without giving you uh, an utter plot spoiler, somebody dies and you do not see it coming. And you know, I mean, if your eyes do not fill up because this character is just so lovely, you know, you've got a heart of stone, heart of stone. So you got you got to watch it and tell me that you cry because if you right, don't, me and you are through. Or is it really? the end of season four? Hmm. Mm. Then How end of season you? three is when they get yes, they get let out accidentally. Anyway, the end of one of the seasons, you're going to cry. And if you don't, don't bother darkening my podcasting door again, Barnes. (laughs) (laughs) Because you would be the sociopath. Yeah, that should be the sociopath test. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you're up in Edinburgh. Yes, I am. How long are you up there for? I am here. So I've been here since uh, Sunday. And I go back to London on the 28th of August. So I'm here for much a month mm-hmm. um yeah it's exciting i love doing the edinburgh fringe but it, it's sort of stressful and exciting uh in equal measure so you know one minute i'll be like this is brilliant i'm at the biggest arts festival in the world how lucky am i and then the next day it's just i want to go home and it's raining again and um but yeah no i'm very very lucky to be here so. i do have a purient side and i could talk to you about you know the meaning of the edinburgh fringe festival uh, but I'm more interested in the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> now, Angela, I'm not saying that you partake necessarily in 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 lots of sex when you're up there in Edinburgh. Absolutely not. But there must be some some drugs and rock and roll. Oh yeah, it it turns into a bit of a party town for August. To be honest, so I first came to the Edinburgh Fringe when I was 18 in 1995. I did a like a student play, mm-hmm. and that was you know it wasn't my job then it was just a bit of a jolly really and so it was great as an 18 year old all the bars stay open till 5 a.m and there was just it was crazy um but now it's you know it's my job and I have to do a good show every day I I just I don't get involved in all the partying so I'm um, I'm very much I'm sharing a flat with uh, Matt Richardson who is a comic you may know he used to host um extra factor you know the like the oh yeah 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 um so we're showing a flat together and we're being really dull you know we brought up we've got our slippers and our dressing gowns and we're uh books to read and yeah so it won't be a party town for me but it certainly is for some i mean there's a lot of there's there's what they call the industry bars so you get as a performer you get passes for these uh bars in town that are just for performers and they can be carnage and they're open till 5 a.m every night of the week Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it can get messy, but not for me. I'll be a good girl in bed with my Horlicks by nine o'clock. Yay. Good for you. <laughs> when I'm in a gutter somewhere. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do Rosie now? Let's do Rosie. Hi, Dam to Dam. I'm Rosie. I've been listening to Dam to Dam for about a year, and I'm a first-time caller in a I'm uh, an event manager, which means because I live in Devon and there's no corporate company spending money on events down here, it means I'm a wedding planner. I hate that phrase, um, but I'm a wedding planner. Shh, don't tell anyone. Anyway, I've been listening to The Archers since 1988 when I was born, probably since I was an embryo in that year, which probably makes me either a Pip Archer or an Alice. I'm not sure which of those is worse, um, but I'll take Alice over Pip. I'm hoping I'm Alice because Pip would be bad. Anyway, I'm calling in because um, I would just like to say how 
I've never in one week gone from hating a character character so much to loving her. Um, Jill Archer has been so vile for the last few months. In fact, probably the last year and a bit, um, where she used to be so wonderful. Anyway, she's been horrible vile. And it was a pinnacle when she said to Kirsty, I will stand here and scream until you tell me. It was just like Violet Elizabeth from the Just William series saying, I'll scream and scream and scream until I'm sick. That's what Jill reminded me. Hey. She's got her first criminal record for protesting and throwing flapjacks. I think that's bloody brilliant. That's it for me, Dr. Summers. Over and out. I hope I've included everything. Probably forgotten something. I live in Devon. That's the other thing. Uh, anyway, yeah. Great. Love the podcast. Over and out. Now, yeah. Rosie is a first time caller in her and she did everything spot on the money, didn't she? Absolute four points to Rosie. I think we can all learn from Rosie. Well done, Be Rosie. More... <laughs> um, now, again, um, I think there's a lot of Jill love this week, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. She So she's saying that... Because um, Jill has been a bit of a monster over the last 18 months. She's right. You know, that all that stuff with... Uh, what's his name? Um, oh, God, I've forgotten his name. Rex's brother. Toby. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that stuff with Pip and the... Monster's a bit harsh. Well, Rob Titchener was a monster. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Okay, maybe not a monster. Maybe just a bit of a cow. <laughs> <laughs> a geriatric <laughs> cow, just yes. a bit mean and I, a bit... I was going to say a geriatric sourpuss. Yeah, yeah okay, geriatric sourpuss. I'll, I'll settle yeah. with that. Not um, a raving, sociopathic, bordering on murdering uh, monster. No. All right, so, good. I think what Rosie's saying is she she went from you know she because she was always so sort of inoffensive Jill mm-hmm. and kind of just there and then she went over the last year she had her real moments of of not very niceness and now suddenly this whole new Jill has come out and it's you go girl and it's just you know from being a bit angry with her and a bit like oh I don't like what they're doing with Jill because I didn't like it when she was being really mean and catty and horrible. It was, it didn't feel right. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, she's got a cause. She's got somewhere to direct that side of her. Go well, Jill. I, I, I suppose what the script writers have done is they've said, we have this character. She's been woefully underserved by just baking for Brookers. <laughs> um, let's give her you know another dimension to a character so there was the you know railing against toby because of it reminded um, her of uh, grace then they've gone well she's got energy she's got a spark let's push it in a in a certain direction it cannot be beekeeping so the beekeeping is just a way for her to become mates with kirsty a vehicle for that for them to bond and then it's a case of you know social activism right it's yeah. so brilliant, um, and I, I yeah. I mean the the <laughs> the uh, Rosie mentions it. The I will stand here and scream till you tell me. <laughs> like I love the fact that she's using the fact she's an old lady to get her because you're not going to let an old lady stand there and scream. <laughs> you know, it's like she's going to use the fact she's eighty six. I think to really push. It. It's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. No. Uh, and I. I've always loved a little bit of, of Jill Archer. And I, I don't know how people say, oh, you know, she can be really kind of sanctimonious and stuff. She's not a Peggy. No. You know? Oh, God, no. She's not, oh, she's no, not I... a Peggy. She's, as far as I'm concerned, she's always, she's always been lovely. Yes, there was the Grace Archer nonsense and stuff. and 
I, but I suppose those things just are hard to let go. Well. Even though she was married to Phil for God knows how many years, you know, she could never quite let it go that she was number two, could she? Yeah. You know, and uh, and old Tobes came along and, and reminded her of all of that. But anyway, yeah. um, Rosie, welcome to the team, me dear. Hello, Rosie. Right. Now it's Paul Room. Now he's a controversial doctor. Oh. Mm. Hello, uh, Dumpty Dummers. Um, I'd just like to phone in with a confession, I'm afraid, that uh, isn't going to be very popular and I fear may uh, make me be driven out of Ambridge by pitchfork-wielding mobs. Um, it was very sad to hear of the death of Sarah Coward. Um, but in a way, it was good how she faced her final illness and gave a lot of um, publicity and talking frankly about death, which is quite a nice thing in a way. Um, but I'm afraid to say that I never really liked the character of uh, Caroline Sterling, Bone, Pemberton, whatever you'd like to call her. She was much too fruity for my tastes with a um, sort of plummy voice and seemed to go after men who bought the estate and had shed loads of money. And I don't know, she just seemed to bounce, bounce into the, the, the new chap who came along and uh, whoever there was. Uh, with all the money, she would then seem to go after Cameron Fraser, um, Guy Pemberton, and then Oliver Sterling, and it just never sat well. I know it won't be a popular thing, but uh, yes, just too fruity. Sorry about that. Where do you stand on reverse snobbery? Well, I, I just, I didn't, I don't understand what you meant by she's too fruity. Well, well, I suppose. Like, well, I think he connected the fact that she had a plummy voice, and then he then he put the word fruity. And me, fruity means that you know she's a bit kind of you know a bit liberal with her hands, and you know yeah. and like likes a little bit of action, which I don't. Yeah, which I actually maybe he did allude to that because okay, let's go back. Her going from one man to the next, and and she kind oh that's dreadful to say she kind of did. But as I seen from when I came into the Archers in the eighties, yeah. she was she Caroline Pemberton then or Bone, <laughs> right? And she did so she she did have a bit of Brian, yeah. And she and he, he's completely right. She always had rich partners. She never yeah. slummed it. She was never just going to shack up with with Eddie. Uh, or anything like that right they're the people she would have been meeting they were the people on her in her social circle yeah because Um, she did she was proper posh because wasn't lord netherborns her cousin or something or another something like that because she had the royal connection as well didn't she yeah so when princess margaret yeah that uh wrote uh spoke a couple of lines in the archers in the 80s um, be weirder if she'd ended up with a farmhand rather than the men she did. I don't think she's a. You can't. She's from good stock, as it were. Ooh. Hate the but oh, you, 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 so, you just saved yourself there by saying, you know, hate the phrase. But yeah. but what I mean by that is they are the sort of people she would have been meeting and would have socialised with and would have. It would yeah. have like I, you can't call her a gold digger or a money grabber or any of those things because, because that's what she knew. That that, world already. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's my difficulty with all of this, right? Yeah. If you're born into poverty 
and you would and and that's just what you're or you're born working class or just whatever the heck and that's just what you are you can't yeah. help it yeah you know if you're born into having a you know into having things a little bit easy you're just yeah. born into it aren't you yeah, you can't, you can't help that. You can't. Yeah, exactly. You can't it's help. Very, that. I have. A, I I know I'm guilty of having a bit of a working class chip on my shoulder sometimes. You know, and I feel <laughs> it's what it is. I think is it's the opportunity that those people have that that we had to work in a different way for. Mm. So it's the sense of entitlement that people have. You know, just assume. And and, that this, and, and that's exactly where I was going to go with this because yeah. the one thing about Caroline. I don't think she had a sense of entitlement. She was a posh bird. Yeah. Jennifer Aldridge has a sense of entitlement. Yeah. She does. Caroline doesn't. And also, where... And Paul Room and I did talk about this on, on the Book of Base yesterday in Messenger. And Caroline um, was the godmother of Will Grundy. And she yeah. took that very seriously. Yeah. For the most part, 99 godparents out of 100, it's an honorific on the day of the christening and that's it. And then you never hear from them again. Exactly. Yeah. But she yeah. actually took it seriously. So she gave Will a cottage. Um, she has been much less so now, but a mentor to Will uh, in his teenage years, etc. Yeah. She absolutely was. So whether it's no blesh, no, uh, no bleach, or whether it's uh, or whatever you want to call it, she actually, number one, she never flaunted her wealth. She actually um, was a very capable, caring, considerate, yeah. compassionate godparent to a working class kid. And actually, through that, had a certain level of, in the end, grudging acceptance of the Grundys because they really did, you know, trash her place. Let's be quite honest, honest about yeah. it. You know what they did. But... You know, Oliver had to drag her a little, but she yeah. went, "Okay, let's give it, give the place to the Grundies." Blah blah blah. I, 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 as 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 posh birds go, Caroline's kind of a good one. She yeah. was a good one. I mean, most people in that social would, you know, they sure they'd be a, a landlord to the likes of the Grundies, but they wouldn't have any social doings with them, or you know. So the fact that she's a godparent to a Grundy, I think, shows that she is you know in touch with that um with all the whole all the stratas of the village you know no absolutely in and as i say in stark contrast to um jennifer yeah in stark yeah. contrast she Jen is somebody who parents. absolutely is entitled um yeah. etc goes along to, to nice do's etc and she wouldn't have anything to do with with the grundies or with the carters etc she certainly wouldn't be a godmother yeah and also caroline rolled her sleeves up in gray gables yeah you know she'd work with anybody on you know she'd she'd fit in on the desk uh etc nah yeah paul bang out of order mate yeah can't I, speak ill of the dead don't do it she, yeah, I agree. Although, while we're talking about Caroline, I mean, the um, the memorial was lovely, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. Episode. Yeah, no, it was. And and you just know that, of course, it meant much more to the actors because they really were absolutely. giving um, Sarah a, a send-off. So yeah. uh, it, that was absolutely lovely. And I'm sure um, there was not a dry tear in that studio when they were doing that because you know oh, they 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 did that memorial for her you know on air for real 
so to speak. Yeah. Very touching. Um, shall we do a bit of Andrew Horn action now? Yay! Greetings Earthlings, Andrew Horn here with two observations for the last couple of weeks. I've really been enjoying the way they've dealt with Caroline's death and um, are starting to deal with the way Oliver comes to terms with his grief. And uh, an observation about the related to this with the uh, Grundy boys. Um, it's, of course, William who has a special relationship with Caroline. He's the godson. Um, but I think it's interesting that it's actually Ed that is is having more of an impact and is more going to be more helpful to Oliver, which, as you, you would expect, the way that Oliver has mentored him, uh, seeing Ed uh, return the favour is really quite heartwarming, although the clunky line about the smashed files was just, I think, one step too far. The other point that's actually bugging me is the Fallon and Harrison move in to stay in the cottage it looks like they've got their money now and they can stay in the village and that's fabulous. But this whole storyline was kicked off with them wanting to move because the cottage wasn't big enough. And I think Cosmo has mentioned this elsewhere, um, but it's now really grating with me every time the topic comes up. So whether it was Cosmo or someone else who put it in my mind, um, I think you're right. Um, and it's a real shame because that storyline is now ruined for me. Anyway, I hope you're all enjoying the summer and speak to you again soon. Bye. I always love me a bit of Andrew Horn. Talk about somebody with a plummy voice. It's Andrew yeah. Horn. What do think of him? Now, um, he looks at Ed and Will and also Harrison and Fallon. Let's deal with Harrison and Fallon first. Um, over yeah. to you, Angela Barnes in Edinburgh. Well, he's bringing up that same... Uh, I think we might have talked about it last week a bit about how suddenly their dream home is Woodbine Cottage the one that was too small for them to live in hence they were looking for somewhere else mm -hmm. um, it, it just seems a bit weird that suddenly it, it was because they were there were complaints about them falling over each other's stuff and it being too small and them needing a bigger place but then suddenly the issue became not about them needing a bigger place it became about what they can afford and, and what really confused me was how Caroline was only selling it because they were moving out. They could have just continued renting Woodbine. So but, I, but I suppose, though, I suppose, though, right, because this point, as you said, was actually raised last week, and it, it is a, a very good one. But when somewhere isn't your own and you can't, not, you can, not that you're actually going to knock down a wall in a historic cottage, you're not, but you yeah. can't be moving things around and stuff too much because you're renting. Yeah. So it is going to feel a little bit too small. As soon as it's yours and you can say, let's remove those shelves from there. Let's move that uh, cupboard over there. It creates yeah. a little bit more space, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when it's yours, you've got, you know, you can actually move things around. And actually when it's yours, it feels bigger because it's yours. Though I take the point completely. They said it was too small. Uh, and that's the reason why they, they wanted to move. But actually, um, if it's yours, you've got options, haven't you? And actually, I suppose you could also look at it. They've looked at what else is out there. They haven't necessarily found anything bigger that they can afford. Mm. So maybe it's just coming to terms with, okay, this is what we can, size-wise, it's fine. But then, well, I'm, I'm going into Monday's episode now, but uh, or Sunday's, but, um, you know, they get the money, they're going to buy, I don't know. I don't know. There's something just not quite 
obviously they we need them to stay in the village so it's all good well, so we don't actually need them to be in the village do we you know you know somebody can we have had the odd character before in the past that has lived in Felpersham. yeah yeah penny hassett or somewhere yeah yeah fair enough. but i think um has is kind of being signposted for um ed and emma um, that something's going to happen with their kind of domestic situation, isn't it? Because yeah. th- there's yeah. a parallel storyline going on that these <laughs> these pair can go. Emma talking to Fallon. She was so she was being so. She's like, oh really? Because the houses on where it, Bridge Farm will have bigger gardens, and be, as if to say we're going to be better than you. Yeah, it was a right. really weird conversation between the two of them. And and you kind of realise in that conversation that she was her mother's daughter. You know, oh, was, yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely yeah she she's still a carter yeah yeah even even with help to buy i can't see how emma and will uh sorry emma and uh ed, ed. could afford a family house even with help to like i don't know maybe i don't know i'm sure cosmo will be able to no claire asprey that's we we need her uh, on, on the case now she's all about yes. the housing but she did say that um in the plan in Justin's um, little mini uh, new estate that there was yeah. going to be like seven social houses or something or another yeah. and, and we're bound I to get one because you know we're locals brought up in the air etc yeah yeah so I'm presuming that how that storyline is going to go is how all social housings in go in, in new developments in that yes there, there is set. There is um, a quarter or twenty percent, and then by the time these things are built, uh, there is one or two, yeah. if not none. That's yeah. how they always go. They're going to be disappointed, aren't they? They're going to be absolutely. And it would be. It, I was going to say, it'd be nice if it ran in parallel with the Harrison and Fallon storyline, but it can't because um, the place you know, you know got to get proper planning permission first, and yeah, you know, exactly, and then, then be built. Maybe so. That won't even happen. Hmm. Yeah. Before we go to an ad yes. break, yeah, and you have Scarlet Sparrow's uh, tweets of the week, um, Matt and Justin. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt's inverted commas apologised. Yeah. To Justin, but then that conversation between Matt and Lillian, where she sort of admitted she still has feelings for him. Sort of admitted. Well, did admit that she still has Blatantly feelings. Blatantly admitted. Yeah. So. Is, I mean, Matt's not just going to go back to Costa Rica and it's all going to be over. There's something more's got to happen. Um, and I know, you know, going back to Witherspoon, I know he feels that um, obviously Matt is a bad choice for Lillian for so many reasons, but for dramatic soapy soap reasons, <laughs> there that it's got to happen, surely. Well, does it have to happen, or do we just need? Uh, the confusion, uh, you know, the angst that Lillian goes through before she realises that actually um, Justin is the one. Maybe. Maybe it's enough just that Matt has come in and thrown the cat amongst the pigeons and given her pause for thought. And and so if she does marry Justin, she'll be really sure Mm. about it. Maybe that is what's happening. I don't know. I just, I just, oh, I I don't want to see the end of Tiger and Puscat. No, me either. And he did. He did 
say that, didn't he? Yeah. Inappropriate. No, inappropriate. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Lillian. Sorry, Lillian. Yeah. So do you feel, right, because you're very happy and secure in your, your relationship. How long have you been together now? About a year and a half? Well, three years nearly. Oh, bloody Nora. Yeah. Gosh. Yes. It only seemed like a year and a half ago you said it was a year and a half. Yeah. There mm. you go. Funny that. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't see like an ex coming back into your life, sniffing around a little, just give you a tiny little bit of pause for thought to make you realise that actually you and Matt are even more rock solid, could you? That sort of happened. I got an email from, there was a guy that I was so in love with when I was in my late teens. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen or heard from him for about 12 years. And every now and then he'd pop into my head and I'd think about him and then just go, oh, you know, whatever. Uh, but I was properly, you know, he really thought I was really in love with him. And then um, just after I'd met Matt, I got an email from him, out of completely out of the blue, mm -hmm. from this other guy, who said he'd he'd like seen me on TV or something, and he'd found my email address and just sent me an email to say, oh, I've just seen you on TV. I'm really, I just wanted to let you know that I'm really pleased that things are going well for you and stuff. And for a moment, when I saw his name come up on my email inbox, my heart just jumped and I went, oh, God, he's, he's back on the scene. Mm. And, but then, actually, I, I replied to the email. We had a little email exchange. And then I was like, oh, I feel, I feel nothing for you. And all it did was reinforce how brilliant Matt is. That's all it did in the end. At first, I was like, oh, great. I've met this brilliant guy. And now you're going to come back in and ruin it. But it absolutely had the opposite effect. It made me realize how much happier my life is with Matt. So it was beneficial then? It was beneficial, yeah, yeah. But he didn't, you know, it was, it was merely, he lives miles away, so we didn't actually meet. But even I think now if we did, I don't think it would, yeah, you have any. You don't think? I don't, no, I'm 100% sure it wouldn't. That's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> I'm 100% sure it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah right on that note <laughs> i think you might need to get down from edinburgh sooner <laughs> sooner than you think me to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> let's go and have an ad break come back the other side with yokel bears social media roundup here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. 
Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Back before podcasts existed. Indeed, back before there was even an internet. Thugs with shotguns burst into the village shop, taking the lovely Betty, clever Debbie, rich businessman Jack, and the waste of space that is Kate Aldridge hostage. One of the gun-toting raiders was the evil Clive Horobin, rumoured to be the son of not the layabout Bert, but of Darth Vader himself. Clive Skywalking Vader became a fugitive after this epic siege. His whereabouts shrouded in mystery as he was hidden and given succour by his sister Susan Carter, the high priestess of gossip from the dairy in the village shop. Fortunately, Clive was eventually captured and brought to justice at Her Majesty's pleasure. Sadly, prison was not strong enough to contain the pure evil that was Clive Skywalking Vader, and he eventually escaped. And once freed, his hatred of our picturesque village quickly became manifest in devilish form. For reasons that are now lost in the dark midst of time and the many plot lines that have befallen our beloved Ambridge over its 66 years of broadcasting, he turned his deathly ire onto the saintly George Barford, he who was a noble soul and husband of Christine. On one fateful night upon release from bondage, Clive Skywalking Vader Horobin firebombed the Barfords' home, the old police house, leaving George and Chris homeless and bereft of all possessions. All they had left was each other, and noble George supported Christine throughout this terrible ordeal until his untimely death, which sadly left her a widow. We can only speculate about how this story would have ended had they simply installed an ADT smoke detector. Would they have been alerted to the raging inferno sooner? Could they have saved their home and the contents therein before the flames of Vader destroyed everything which they held dear? Some believe it was the strain of the incident that caused George's untimely demise just one year after the fire. Some say you can't put a price on a life, but you can put a price on an ADT smoke detector. And guess what? They start from as little as 7p a day. Some say that's a small price to pay. Stomach Show, Colbert here calling with the social media roundup for the week. I'm going to start with the uh, forum this week uh, because there is a new poster on the forum. Hello, Connor Kinsella, um, who has posted the most 
unbelievably brilliant rant about what's going on at the moment. It's too long to go into in detail, but edited highlights would include on the cricket team. Jesus, it's the bloody village cricket team, not the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Um, and also on Matt Crawford. Is he actually a human being or a genie who appears in a puff of smoke every time a character happens to be available for his a little birdie told me such and such blah 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 stick? Um, it's a great rant. You should go over and have a look at it. It's fantastic. Also as well, we've had um, a request from Isaac Couture's who is looking to see whether people have MP3 copies of various back episodes of The Archers. Um, so have a look at that post and if you can help, do so. Roy Field also mentioned last week um, about trying to use the forum more. Now, hand on heart, I am as guilty as anyone about this. Um, so I think I'm going to make it my aim this week to maybe some post some stuff on the forum and it'd be lovely if you could too but back to the book of face um started the week asking for some predictions zany salad says um we'll find out why jill is so angry with the duxford sisters namely she had a torrid affair with one of the sisters Ooh, i don't think that's correct but I kind of like the idea of it. Mind you, by the end of the week, you know, Hidden Depths with Jill um, did not see that coming. Um, Joan Smith says that Oliver will feel so guilt-ridden that he will um, half the rent of the Grundies. And she, uh, she says millions of listeners yell their outrage and stamp their feet in unison and the ensuing seismographic disturbance causes puzzlement amongst non-archers listening geologists yeah i think that would actually make all the ornaments fall off my shelf um we also had a bit of a thread about oliver i said he's a real gentleman um paul taylor agreed said absolutely he's everything matt and justin art um in fact he felt guilty for mentioning them in the same post but a few people couldn't get over um couldn't get past um oliver's support for hunting and yeah that's kind of a bit of a drawback for me but i thought this week he was an absolute gentleman so on to the big action of the week distressed ducks was flying flapjacks um catherine kavanagh said i love that episode um and women's hour women's hour gave a, a sneaky hint of it this morning um that morning um and she found herself saying go jill out loud yeah i did too and i'm not a big fan of jill but i really did <laughs> enjoy that um janice pope says um she sensed ducksfords might be introduced as actual characters yeah that's that's possibly the case i don't I'm not sure that i like them mind you as janice says often characters are introduced as kind of baddies first and then we kind of get to like them a bit apart from rob of course um rachel kennedy said that's one hell of a flapjack <laughs> thank god christine didn't make it yeah i thought that too um we also looked at whether who should who should um, take over. The Duxfords aren't going to do the fate. Uh, Valerie Bayliss pointed out that Mark Commode, the Mark Commode, is actually offered. Um, uh, that's a really good idea. Um, but Pam Crookshank um, says it should be Royfield, and I totally agree because I know how to suck up to the boss. Basically, um, that'd be really funny actually if if we all turned up at the fate. That would be really breaking the fourth wall. Um, Luke Hannington said the ghost of Liberace, which made me laugh, but I'm not quite sure why. 
We also had threads on how poignant Caroline's funeral was and just want to say absolutely bravo script writers, everyone agreed. And we ended the week with a prediction that um, that basically Oliver will hand over Grange Farm to the, the Grundies. Um, not a lot of people really agree with that, but there you go. So it's been quite a busy week on the Book of Face. Um, needs to be a little bit busier on the forum, maybe, and I'm going to try and do something about that as well. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a great week, and we had loads of posts. So go on the Book of Face, go on the forum. Um, and basically, let's see whether this week can top last week. But I'm not sure um, anything's going to top a Molotov flapjack. That's me done. Okay, bye. Thank you, Yokel Bear. And um, lovely we... Yokel Bear. I still love his voice. Bring out those children's stories, Yokel Bear. Get watching Game of Thrones is on that as well. Yokel Bear's moonlighting. He does Dumpty Dum, and then he does Game of Thrones. Lord Varys. Yeah. That's him. Um, and isn't it? I tell you, Caroline's passing has touched everybody. It really has. Yeah. Is is. And as you said, it was very moving, the memorial, even just down to the fact they had it at the Grundies. And I do Alan, like Alan. Alan. Yes. Oh. And no, that I thought that was... did say that vase metaphor was a bit clunky. <laughs> <laughs> you put me back together. Oh, dear. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, 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 grief. Yeah. Standard behaviour for lots of people that, you know, you lose a loved one. And you're too too busy organising things. Yeah. And then when that focus has gone, you realise you've lost them. Yeah. It's actually um, it was actually nine years ago yesterday. I lost my dad, and it was that exactly that. It was you're busy, busy, busy organising the funeral, making sure everyone who needs to know knows, doing all the paperwork, doing all that. And the minute the funeral's over, you're just at a loss. Mm. You know, I just I just wanted to go back to work because it gave me something to do. You know, because you just don't you, you sort of wander around and go, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, and you really felt that with Oliver. The sit, I totally um, empathise with that. The sitting in the cafe, just where else is there to go? And I thought it was really poignant as well. Him being by himself is one thing, but also it's like, well, where do I live now? Yeah. He and Caroline had decided to go to to Italy, but does he want to be in Italy by himself? You know, and his Italian isn't that good. He said, um, "He, I can't, I cannot remember the reason why Oliver Sterling moved to Ambridge. I really can't remember." No, uh, but he doesn't have family and roots in in Ambridge. We know that. Probably are in the states, aren't they? Because he said, "Yeah, about, about New York." Daughter. Yeah, daughter says, "Come and live with us in New York." Yeah. Uh, do you think he'll come back to the village? I'd like to think he would, but where well, would he live? Well, there is the where would he live. And then also, this does mean that Shula can become master of the hunt, doesn't it? So it gives uh, Shula a promotion there. So if he yeah. doesn't come back. What if uh, what if Ed and Emma get their new house mm-hmm. and Oliver moves in with the Grundies? <laughs> <laughs> We've already got the odd couple with Jim and Jazza, haven't we? <laughs> what's up to jim and jazza well jazza's just criminally underserved anyway he's disappeared i miss yeah. jazza yeah no he if you hear jazza once you'll hear him twice in 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 the next in the next month and then that's it yeah. 
then that's yeah. it and he's gone for nine months yeah who knows who knows well, i hope it's because the actor's really busy doing lots of well-paid work that's what i hope it is well i i hope so too <laughs> um shall we now go on to scarlet sparrow yes and her tweets of the last seven days Ta-da! <laughs> hello dumpty dumbest scarlet sparrow here with tweet of the week while there's an unsurprisingly baked goods and senior citizen criminality theme running through most of this week's tweets Firstly, the two worst puns of the week, from our very own at Dumpty Dum. This is not a laughing matter, Fallon. It's a fate worse than death. But whoever did that tweet did have the decency to apologise for it. And secondly, um, from British High Society, Jill threw a flapjack in someone's eye. Is that assault and buttery? And now on to Jill's new criminal record. There were so many to choose from, but I really chuckled at this one from Mrs. Trellis, um, who is at the only ways up on the Twitters. Mrs. Archer, your DNA has come up in a cold case review. Can you account for your movements on the 22nd of September 1955? Oh, bollocks. On a completely different subject, John Reed, at John Reed on the Twitters, had Alice Pip's been spending her weekends doing relief milking. Adam, well... That's too much information. And finally, Tweet of the Week, which was from Eleanor at Dentinel. Assault with a flapjack. Meanwhile, the biscuit tin at Brookfield lies empty. Tragedy stalks the land. That's all from Tweets of the Week. Sorry for all the any ones I missed. Thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you, Miss Barrow. And, you know, um, because you couldn't be fussed to not only do a monologue, but not do the Tweets of the Week. Right. <laughs> That's not what happened. Somebody forgot to tell me that doing Tweets of the Week was part of the job. Yeah, fair play. Um, it's not like you don't listen and haven't listened to Dumpty Dum for, what, two years, two and a half years? About that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, really, you know, it's not much of an excuse. No, but I did forget. Uh, but Scarlet Sparrow, I, I tweeted out last week. I said, would somebody like to do Tweets of the Week and then ring in um, on SpeakPipe? And Scarlet Sparrow said... I would love to do that. And she did an awesome job. Thank, Thank you, Scarlet Sparrow. Sparrow, for making me not look so bad. I'm now, <laughs> let's start to wrap up this mama jammer. Dumdydum.com, folks, go there. Please go there for the love of all things holy. We've got a forum there. It needs your love. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I said, please put your backs into it. And a, and a, and a few people have. Um, post uh, messages, questions on there but then also folks please go on there and actually reply um we need we just need to properly give it uh, the push that the forum needs also on dumdydum.com you can see the dumdy mogs dum dumdy uh, dogs um and you can also see a lucy's monologues you can and go back and listen to past episodes of dumdy dum if you've missed one maybe angela barnes's first appearance on the show as a celebrity guest you can go back and do that um so dumdydum.com folks go there and it's also the home of course of tractor which is the big map where you can pin yourself to and say i live here are you close by do you like dumdydum and the archers also uh, and if you do, then you can commune with them in real life, not just on social media, but like socially in person. Now, Angela, talking about maps. Yes. Roman roads of Britain. Ooh. I tell you, it's a beautiful thing. Now, first off, cease and desist anybody from 
pinging me this link and saying, oh, this might be right up your street, <laughs> Royfield Ermin Street. Well done, Mark Everton. Now, <laughs> Angela, if I had yeah. this map once, how many times do you think I had this map? 25 times. I would say 64 million hundred and eighty. I've had it like so many times in the last weeks. It is a beautiful thing to behold. So what it is, it's all the Roman roads of Britain, but done like the London Underground. So if you imagine that kind of graphic style. Oh, wow. So like uh, Watling Street is in like dark blue, like the Piccadilly line. Uh, Things kind kind of converge out of London. It is great. And there's a bit of history with this. So... I think this same person did uh, the Roman roads of Europe map in the style of the London Underground and put it up on the interwebs and loads of people said this is really good but you've forgotten this road here that road there and their detailing of Britain was actually um, a little bit scant right so they're taken to task and then they've gone back applied themselves and my god this thing is fantastic but I had this easily. I would easily say it's been tweeted to me 25 times. I've had it on Facebook, tweeted to me on Messenger. I've had it on DM, on Twitter. I've had it on my timeline. Um, but it is a great thing. So this week's map is undoubtedly the Roman roads of Britain uh, map. And I can't even think who sent it to me first because I've seen it that many times. It's even on. It's, it's been on The Economist. It's been in The Independent. It's just uh, it's done the rounds, but it is a great map. So thank you to everybody that tweeted that to me. Keep your maps a-coming. You know me, I love a map. Uh, now She loves them too, she just won't admit it. You know what she does, doesn't she? Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. She, she always, you know, all these faux, kind of, you know, faux, I'm bored. Oh, Royford, blah, blah, blah. But, it's like yeah. when you pull the pigtails of the girl you fancy in the playground. You know? You only protest when you actually really like them. Judith Madge. That was oh, it, it was for me. Oh, God. You still I, in touch with Judith Madge? Oh, she wouldn't even look twice at me in the street now, I tell you. Oh. But I, Judith Madge used to sit next to Dawn Swancutt in class. <laughs> and then she came into school, like, the next day with her fringe cut. She had a bob. This is, like, 1979. Oh. And she just went from being a girl who you didn't notice to the most beautiful girl in the class and i just i just remember looking and going oh my god (laughs) oh that's so cute how old were you 10 oh that's so cute well listen i tell you she lived on my road she lived on king standing road but further up the road up the hill and i remember one day my dad would always say to me you know go get the sunday newspaper yeah and i decided at the age 11 I knew I was going to bump into Judith and I put on my best jacket, best trousers, everything. I put on a shirt and tie. I'm 11. (laughs) And it's just one of those, you know, ties with the the little bit of elastic at the top, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, put it underneath your collar. And my mum said, what are you doing dressed like that? I went... I just wanted to look smart to get the paper. And she just smiled, patted me on the head and said, oh, go on then, son. It was the slowest walk ever because I just wanted to see Judith and I never did. But the effect that woman had on me, 
that girl I should say when I discovered did you not see her um a year or so after senior school so I haven't seen her in like literally 30 years wouldn't it be great if it turns out she's a dumpty dumber there is there is somebody from my junior school that does listen to Dum Dum who's actually tweeted me a couple of times and says hello Roy Field you love the archers but no Judith Madge uh, just to finish up on Judith Madge yeah she did um so you know you have your when, when you when you finish junior school about to finish junior school you you know you put in your options where you know which senior school you're going to go to yeah she said she's going to perry common and i was going to great bar i was gutted i marched back to my mum and dad and said i'm changing it do not want to go to great bar i want to go to perry common and my dad was very firm said that's what you put son that's where you go and i said no dad no oh she got separated yeah yeah oh but hey hum yeah judith (laughs) madge where is she now? What is she doing? Oh, if you're listening, Judith Madge, get in touch. Um, who were you in love with at school? Oh, t- well, his name was Timothy Peake, but he wasn't the astronaut. <laughs> um, but yeah, Tim Peake, and he was blonde and like the football star and all the girls loved him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was definitely the, the one. We used to play Kiss Chase, but I, I loved him so much that I wouldn't play if he was playing because I got too nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I remember playing Kiss Chase and I just ran after Judith Madge, right? And I rugby tackled her and I remember her dress flying up and me seeing her blue knickers, right? And I did. <laughs> and she burst out crying, Royfield, you've hurt me, and went off to the dinner lady. Oh, right. I've never been more gutted. I said to myself, I did. I said to her, I didn't mean to hurt her. I just wanted to kiss her like this. I'm going to be beside myself. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah, no. worrying. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, I really want to know where she is now. Yeah, listen. listen. Me too. No, 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 I don't. I don't. I don't need to re- become a, a middle-aged stalker. That'd be terrible. <laughs> you must have searched for her on Facebook. You know what? I actually haven't. Really? I actually You know, I want to do that as soon as we get... Can we just r- rush through the show so I can just get, get onto get, Facebook? Get, sure, no worries. Let's get <laughs> right. to the end. You can right. do that. So we've done the maps. Now, um, folks, reviews. Uh, used to say it at the end of every show. And uh, we don't anymore. But really, please write us a review, uh, ideally on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, uh, but on any bit of the interweb where podcasts are that you can write a review. Please write us a review. It's super important because it means that more people will then be alerted to to Dumpty Dum. We are actually on new and noteworthy on iTunes at the moment. Sorry, on Apple Podcasts at the moment, which is all fine and dandy. But please, with your help, we can go up those iTunes charts. And you know what, Angela Barnes? Yes, right. We, we got as high as number nine in the UK uh, iTunes charts for TV and media once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was because we had a whole push on people writing reviews. Because this is weird how the algorithm works. It's the right. amount of downloads, yes, but but with reviews. 
as right. well. So we got we got really quite high. So we want to get back into that top ten, folks, and you can help us by going onto Apple Podcasts and writing a writing a review. Yay! Yay! Now I'm in the, the fringe at the moment, so I'm trying not to think about reviews. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel sick when I hear the word. <laughs> I'm totally talking about reviews, a program which I actually miss. Late night review. Yeah, where they sat sort of around a table. And... Yeah, Tom Paulin, that kind of bit miserable That's Irish bloke. Awesome. I used to really like him and stuff. Yeah, I used to really like Late Night Review. And then there's that um, that black guy. Um, I was going to Ugo Eshion or something or another. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I didn't like him much. Right. Uh, yeah. He didn't half like himself. But anyway, <laughs> now I do miss that as a show, though. I want yeah, to bring that back. Existed. Yeah. Yeah. I only uh, remembered this because listening to Wittertainment, Mark Commode mentioned it, I think, last week. Was it the week before? And I went, oh, yeah, you used to be on that. I used to like that show. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Um, so do people in Edinburgh absolutely live in fear of reviews? Well, th- th- you sort of try and kid yourself that... Like, the bottom line is it it shouldn't matter. As long as you've got a room full of people enjoying the show... That's what should matter. But mm-hmm. by the same token, you're only human. So when somebody writes something and they haven't enjoyed the show, it it does upset you because you know how much work you've put into it, and you're you know, it's it feels very personal mm. because it's just you. You haven't got a cast or a crew or all those other people that you can share that with. It it feels when you're a stand-up comic because you've written it and you're performing it. When someone doesn't like it. You can't help but take that personally. Yeah, and uh, that I completely and utterly understand. And you're nakedly revealing yourself, aren't you? It's all about you. It's not as if you're an actor on an ensemble production, so you can actually say, well, actually, the director was bad. You know, I was given bad direction. I can't blame a writer. I can't blame anyone but me if people don't like it. Mm. You know, so um, it is quite nerve-wracking. But having said that, you know, it, it's comedy. No one's going to die. It doesn't really matter. Like I know it's my well, job. No one's going to die laughing. Boom, boom. I mean, I might die um, metaphorically, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm not. I'm not changing the world with what I'm doing, and I'm just the luckiest person in the world to get paid to do the job that I do. So, if you know, that's all I can do really. And I've got by this point in proceedings, I've got no power over what reviewers write about me. So there's no point worrying about it really. You know, yeah. Mm. So we'll see. But as long as punters enjoy it, they're the ones that matter. The ones that have bought ticket and do you think reviewers are harsher on female performers? No, I don't think. I think that might have been the case a while ago. I think now most of the there's two types of reviewer really at the Edinburgh Fringe. You've got your professional reviewers, the ones who write for broadsheets or specific comedy websites who are, you know, that's their job. But then what you get a lot of up here is is sort of student reviewers from various student papers and things, and they basically write reviews so they can get free tickets to shows. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones I kind of disregard because, you know, they they haven't really got the... Like, I say disregard. Obviously, they're entitled to say whether or not they've enjoyed a show or what they liked about it and what they didn't. But professionally, you know, I'll take the criticism from... Um, certain reviewers who I respect and I think well they know what they're talking about but 
I'm not you. The thing with comedy is it's absolutely impossible to be everybody's cup of tea because sense of humor is so varied. So there will be people who like what I do and there'll be people who don't. And there's nothing I can do about that. And if one of them happens to write a blog about how much they don't like what I do, well, that's that's up to them. They can do that. But if I'm going to get upset every time someone does that, then, you know, I, I'm taking it too seriously. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the right attitude to have, madam. Yeah. You've got to try and just remember, I think, that none of it really matters and that, People might read reviews, but the bottom line. But is you, but that's a bit, surely that's a little bit hard to say. You can't say that none of it really matters when you have a livelihood that well, is yeah, not it, necessarily intrinsically wrapped up in it, but it is in part because you're doing this to forward your brand, aren't you? Oh yeah, of course. But I don't think a bad review has the power to stop my stop me getting work at this stage do you know what I mean like I don't think one reviewer not enjoying my show will mean that I lose work particularly mm. um, unless the show turns out you know that everybody hates it which could happen then maybe it'll have an impact on my career but at this point I have to just stay positive and think of the people that are in the room and whether or not they're enjoying the show and not worry about what people will write about it after the fact you know, because the people that I'm most concerned about are the people who have bought a ticket to come and see me. They're they're the important people to me. They're the ones I want to keep happy. Cool. You know? Yeah. Um, you're going to write us a review. Go on then. I'll write you a review. Why not? I'll do that. Good. Yes. And why Please. don't you as well, listener, write us a review? If you'd like to help keep our little show on the road, there are two ways this can be done. You can donate by hitting the donate button on the site, or you can sponsor us via patreon.com. Or if you work for a company with lots of moolah who wants to reach 35,000 bloody marvellous, intelligent, and generally spiffing people worldwide, then give us the contact details of your marketing person and we'll harass them into sponsoring us. Hurrah! Remember to get in contact with us, folks. You can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on our site, or you can call us on 02030313105 to leave us a message. On social media, specifically Twitter, you can find us. We are at Dumpty Dum. I can be found at, at Royfield, and Angela is at Angela Barnes. On Facebook, uh, you can uh, find us by simply typing in Dumpty Dum. And you can join the Millie Bell and um, Yokel Bear show. And there hasn't been much Millie Bell recently because I think she's away on holiday. Ah. It's all been Yokel Bear, Lord Varus himself. Oh, I hope you've had a lovely time, Millie Bell, Me too. That's just about it yeah. from us. Next week, Lucy B. Freeman will be back with Robert Naked Fingers Wilson. Lovely. It's been lovely um, having you in the hot seat in Derek's bedroom for the last two weeks, Angela. Thank you very much for having me. I have very much enjoyed myself. I don't know how you could actually be in Derek's bedroom and be in Edinburgh at the same time. How does that work? Derek has bedrooms in every city. Yeah. There you go. You heard me first. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, you Angela Barnes. And you, Roy. Love you lots. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's been a total pleasure. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.